I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to 2 Timothy. We're going to be in 2 Timothy this morning. Um, but the, we've been working through uh, the helping you understand how the discipleship team of our church came up with this definition of what a disciple is or what disciples are. Disciples are transformed followers of Jesus committed to intentionally investing in the lives and spiritual growth of others. And now this isn't a perfect definition. This is just a definition that we composed after studying lots of passages, I mean, probably a hundred passages, um, of what the Bible says about um, discipleship and disciples. And so uh, where we are in this process is we are trying to see today um, as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, what are our responsibilities, right? If we're committed to following him, if we're committed to intentionally investing in the lives and spiritual growth of others, what does that look like? And so we're in the middle of walking through this, and so today's sermon, which is going to be in 2 Timothy chapters 1 and 2, is share what has been shared with you, okay? And so I, I want to say, uh, I want to give an illustration, which I know that none of you will understand because your children are perfect, um, right? Got it, for all of you in here who, whose parents are in the room with you, yeah, uh, I, I know, uh, your parents won't understand this, but uh, I hear rumors that there are some children who do not like to share, um, that, not that I've ever witnessed this in our church or in our house, <clears throat> I, I should probably cross my fingers as I say that, but um, have you ever seen uh, parents who encourage their child to share, um, they don't want to share, but they encourage their child to share, and they share their toys with the child, and then the, the child with whom they're sharing, when it becomes their turn to share, they don't want to do it either. We've all witnessed that, right? It, we have to be taught to share. That's not something that usually comes natural for us. Um, but sharing is important, and it's helpful for children, and it's helpful for adults. It's helpful in learning how to play together. It's, learning, it's helpful in learning how to work together. It's, learning how, it's helpful in learning how to live life together. Uh, and so 2 Timothy chapter, chapters 1 and 2 says, share what has been shared with you. And we're going to look at that in detail. And the verse that we're going to really focus on and lead up to is 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And this verse I've mentioned it so many times in different sermons because it is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, and it's one of those verses that I can remember hearing it. I remember where I was when I heard it the first time, and I have always clung to it. And, and I, it's, it's been one of those verses that has dramatically shaped my life and who I am. And so I want to encourage you as we look at 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, I want to encourage you... Um, I want to challenge you to memorize it. I want to challenge you to find your version, your favorite version of the Bible, and to look it up and to memorize it. And this is Paul talking to Timothy. This, is, uh, this whole letter is Paul writing to Timothy, encouraging him, challenging him. And in this verse, he says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 
And so I want us to look at this verse in detail, and then I want us to go back. And I, I debated on this. I, I wanted to preach this sermon ever since we started talking about discipleship. Um, but I've, I've mentioned this verse so many times in sermons that I thought, no, I'm not, I'm not going to preach on that. And then one Sunday night, since I've been here, we've discussed uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. And so I thought, no, I'm not going to preach it. I'm not going to preach it. And finally, I just, I was like, you know what? I have to. I could, I could, I could not not preach this sermon. Is that a double negative? Is that okay? Okay. All right, let's move on. Um, so let's look at this verse in detail. And what you, you being Timothy, but for us reading it today, we're the you, right? What we, and what you have heard from me, me being Paul, and for us today, the people who taught us are still teaching us, um, our leaders, our mentors, our Pauls, our pastors, our youth pastors, the, our Sunday school teachers, our discipleship leaders, different people who have different roles in our life. Um, but it's not just leaders within the church. It's leaders within families, leaders within homes, leaders within classrooms and public schools, um, people who have invested in you and loved you and taught you about the love of Jesus. What you have heard from them, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust, this is sharing, right? Paul shared with Timothy, and Timothy is expected to share with others. Entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so this is what we're trying to do. If, if Everything goes back to how did Jesus make disciples. Because how Jesus made disciples should, should radically affect how we make disciples. And Jesus, did he preach to crowds? Yeah, sure. He preached to big crowds. He, he preached to crowds bigger than our town. Not that that's saying much, but he preached to, to crowd, large crowds. Um, but what we see in him preaching to the crowds is him bringing an awareness of who he is and, and, and that he is awesome and that he is God. Uh, he brings that awareness to the crowds. But oftentimes what we see in the New Testament is that the crowds follow him for a little while but they don't stick with him. They don't continue following him. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if after um, Jesus' death and resurrection and his ascension, uh, when the disciples begin to preach the gospel and 3,000 people get saved in one day, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the people who were in the crowds were those who got saved. But Jesus didn't only preach to crowds, right? If, if my job as a pastor, if all I did was come here on Sunday mornings some of you are like, wait, you do more than that? I do, I promise. If, 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 my, if all I did was come here and preach to a crowd, and then y'all went, and that was it, then uh, that, would, that could be effective in ways, but then in a lot of ways it would uh, undermine the message that I'm preaching. Because God's Word says that not just pastors, but followers of Jesus, disciples, should be do much more than just preaching and teaching to crowds. We are to share our lives, share what has been given to us, N not just our possessions, our wealth, uh, our love, our care, not just those things, 
Um, but we're to share our knowledge of who Jesus is. We're to share the relationship that we have with him, that he has blessed us with. We're not just to hoard that and say, this is all mine, go away. We're to freely share that with people. Now, I'm not saying that we have to beat them over the head with our Bible or iPad, in my case. Um, We're not to do that, but we're to be like Jesus to them. And Jesus loved people freely. He loved people extravagantly, but he also spoke truth to people. And he, not only did he love them and accept them in, in, in a sense of he was willing to go and be and talk to anyone and, and eat with anyone, no matter what their past was, no matter what their present was, he was willing to do that. But he also spoke truth to people. He didn't just, we talked about in our Wednesday night Bible study this week, he didn't just come full of truth, he came full of truth and grace. And so he came to not only share love and grace, but to speak truth to people. You know, think of the time when the, it, for those of you who are familiar with the story, think of the time when the woman was ab- about to be stoned. They were about to throw rocks at her and, and try to kill her because she had committed adultery. And Jesus intervened. And he stood up for the woman. And he did that in love. He did that with strength, with courage. He stood up for her and he said, hey, if any of you in the crowd, if any of you guys are without sin, then feel free to throw the first stone. And no one threw a stone, right? But that's not the end of it. He didn't just stand up for the woman who needed help. He then told her to go and sin no more. It's not just about teaching people what is true. It's also about living it out with them. We have to do both. We can't just do one. People who teach truth and don't live it out are called hypocrites. And so, or attempt to live it out, I should say, because we're all going to fail. We're all going to sin. But if we do not live out the truth that we are teaching, then we are ripping the power out of our testimony. We're not ripping the power out of the word of God. You can't do that. But we are ripping the power out of our testimony. And so we have to strive to live what we teach. And so when he says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, he is saying that, yes, the knowledge, yes, the, thing, the truth that was lived out in front of you, that was taught to you, and, and not just in front of you, but in front of many witnesses, and trust that to other people. But we can't just assume that Paul meant words and doctrine and truths only. It has to be truths that are lived out. And that's what Paul did. If you read Paul's letters, if you read Acts, if you read these different parts in the Bible that Paul's a part of or where he's talked about, he lived out his life and his love and his passion and his zeal for Jesus. And we looked at that last week in Philippians chapter 3. And so with that said, I want to ask you, and this is almost like a closing in asking this question about application, but who has poured into you, which we talk about a lot in our church? Who has invested in you? Who has taught you? Who has entrusted truth 
to you. And then, with that truth, are you turning around and sharing that with others? Right? So we, we want people to share with us, but we also have a responsibility to share with others. And so, in your life, who is sharing with you and with whom are you sharing? We have to ask that. We have to look at that. And so the question that I have for you today is in taking that evaluation, making that evaluation, are you being faithful to 2 Timothy 2.2? And look, it's good to love everyone. It's good to invest a little in everyone. But we can't invest a lot in everyone. We just don't have the manpower as an individual, I mean, not as a, as a church, but as an individual. If, if I spent uh, 10 hours a week with everyone in this room, I don't know that the math would allow it, right? And so we have to, when we're investing in people, we do have to choose some people in which we're going to invest more intimately than others, which, and with whom we're going to share. And so looking around at your life, I think that just like Paul and just like what, he, what we're going to read here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, I think that we can see some advice on where to look first. I'm not saying this is where it stops but where we can look first. And so if you will, if you'll turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And this, again, Paul writing this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, uh, Timothy wasn't literally Paul's child. Uh, he was his spiritual child. Paul adopted him spiritually and treated him like a son and loved him like a son. And Timothy is not the only person that Paul poured into. But in this letter, we're going to be focusing on Timothy. And now what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through chapter 1, and I'm not going to stop and explain a lot um, like I usually do where we look at each word almost. Uh, we're going to, to go verse by verse, and we're going to look at what this says. But I just want you to get a good idea of, of how Timothy got to the point where Paul was able to say, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. How did he get to a point where Paul could say that to him, where Paul could trust him with such a task? And so, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, I'm going to take a drink of water. I've had uh, some allergies. Anybody else dealing with that? I would probably be okay if I didn't talk incessantly, but, you know, the curse of being a preacher and, and me. So, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. Do you have people like this? Do you have people that you pray for all the time, that you love them so much that even when you try not to pray for them, God brings them to mind, and, and, or I shouldn't say try not to pray for them, but when you forget to pray for them, God's going to bring them back to your mind. He's going to bring them back to your heart. 
And this is the type of relationship that Paul and Timothy has. Paul is in prison. He is away from Timothy. And yet, he still remembers Timothy. He still prays for him and thanks God that he's with him. Verse 4, as I remember your tears. So think about this. Because I'm assuming it's because Paul was going to prison because of the love that Timothy had for Jesus and Paul. Uh, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I mean, these are intimate words. These are words that most of us might have a hard time saying to another person, much less a man saying to another man. And, and yet, this is full of intimacy and love. Verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Because what are we entrusting? but faith. What are we sharing but faith? Paul has shared his faith with him, and others, as we're about to read, have shared their faith with Timothy, and Paul expects Timothy to then turn around and share it with others. I'm going to keep bringing you back to 2 Timothy 2, too, because I believe it's all pointing in that direction. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. It's not like he um, inherited this faith genetically. It's not like because his grandmother and his mother were, were followers of Jesus, he was born as a follower of Jesus. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that his, the faith that his grandmother and mother had, they shared it with Timothy. Timothy has this. Paul is sure that Timothy has the same faith now. Verse 6, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so Paul is saying, look, I was there. I was a part of this. Your, your grandmother was a part of this. Your mother was a part of this. We poured these things into you. And I know that your leader, your mentor is now in jail. But don't let that slow you down. Don't let that hinder you. You keep the faith. You fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you, through my, the, laying on of my, the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I can't tell you how many times I go through difficult seasons where rather than saying, well, here I am to face this situation, uh, like John Wayne might have, instead, that not a good John Wayne in person? Well, hello, pretty lady. <laughs> anyway, instead of, uh, just real quickly, we were sitting at lunch with the Boyds a few weeks ago, and um, John Michael did his Elvis impersonation, and he was like, oh. And then Beth asked him, can you do any other impersonations? And he was thinking, and Rose said, you should do your dad. And John Michael said, go to your room, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, John. Appreciate that. Uh, made me feel like a great dad in that moment. But anyway, uh, I don't even know where I was going with the John Wayne thing, except that, uh, yeah, I do. Instead of facing it, like, real courageously, uh, a lot of times I face it with complaining. And I, a lot of times I face it with fear, with an unknown, like, I, I don't know the future, therefore it scares me or it irritates me 
or it makes me angry. And this is the opposite of how Paul is encouraging Timothy to handle this. There are, there's unknown coming because of Paul's imprisonment and because just life. And he reminds Timothy that God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And a lot of times when we turn to fear, when we turn to anger, when we turn to these things rather than trusting in God, then what is displayed in our life but a lack of power, a lack of love, and a lack of self-control? Whether it's not controlling our anger or whatever other weaknesses we have tend to rise to the surface during stressful times when we're not trusting God. And so let's continue in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He's just telling him, look, I'm in jail, but so what? That doesn't change who God is. That doesn't change what God has said. Us standing firm in the midst of this suffering will just further prove and, and, and testify to the existence of God and the power of his message. So verse 9 by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Now, I know we've been talking about this a lot, but a a disciple is a transformed follower of Jesus, but we don't do the transforming ourselves. Jesus does the transforming. And when he transforms our hearts inwardly, then yes, outwardly, things are going to be transformed. And I'm not saying that we don't have a role in that. I believe that God partners with us in our sanctification. He changes our insides. He changes our heart. And then we have choices to make. If our heart is truly changed, then our actions are going to be changed. And we have to choose whether to obey him or disobey him, whether to follow him or not follow him, and and what he is doing in our hearts. So who, is, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Why is he able to save us? Why is he able to show favor to us and, and pour his grace on us and call for himself and elect? The reason he is able to do that is because of what Christ did on the cross, because of who Christ is and what he has done. And Paul is telling Timothy, don't forget that. And what we're entrusting to others, what we're sharing with others, If it misses this, the foundation of faith, then we're in trouble. And so he is reminding Timothy what he's going to be sharing. Because remember, we looked ahead. He hasn't told Timothy yet what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. He hasn't gone there yet. And so he's just reminding him of who he is and the faith that he has and that this faith doesn't cower when things get tough, that this is something that was given to him as a gift of God through Jesus Christ. It's not something he earned by his works. It's not something that he deserves. It's by grace. Verse 10, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. And I I wish I could talk more about that, but for time's sake, I have to keep going. Verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do. Why does he suffer? For the sake of Christ, because Christ has abolished death and brought to life our lives, Paul's life. This is why he suffers. This is why he's willing to persevere. 
And let's keep reading verse 12. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day which has been entrusted to me. So Jesus entrusted this truth and this life and this faith to Paul. And then Paul entrusted it to Timothy. And he expected Timothy to entrust it to faithful men who would be able to teach others also. And so what we have to remember is there's a lot of things here. There's so much power in this passage and in this gospel. And I encourage you, we'll look at it again tonight, but I encourage you to go home and to read this and to study this and to ask yourself the questions of who is pouring into me, into whom am I pouring, and then who are they pouring into? We have to ask all these. And so in looking at this and looking at what Paul is saying, Paul is saying that he has been given faith through Christ, through the power of Christ's death and resurrection that abolished death for us, that he, even in the midst of prison, he is standing up faithful, he, faithfully. He is standing in, in boldness and courage, not destroyed, not hindered, not broken. He is there trusting God in the midst of all of this in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, and it seems like maybe Timothy is a little timid about what Paul is going through, a little heartbroken and not trusting as he should. And Paul is just encouraging him to stand firm and to believe and to, and to suffer as Christ has suffered. And Paul says he's not ashamed. All right, verse 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So we have to stand firm with truth, with sound words. Verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the deposit entrusted to you. He's saying faith has been poured into Paul, faith has been poured into Timothy, and they are to guard it. They are to, what, what God has blessed them with, what God has entrusted to them, what he has shared with them, they're to guard that and to protect it and keep that faith strong, but not guard it in a way where, no, this is my faith, you stay away. Guard it in a way where this is truth, I know what truth is, I stand firm on truth, I believe in truth, and even when it doesn't make sense, even when I'm confused, even when my eyes deceive me, I stand firm on the word of God. I stand firm on the sound word. And in standing firm on the sound word, that's what it means by guarding what has been entrusted. We know that it doesn't mean just let's ha let me have my faith over here by myself and uh, I'm going to protect that faith from all of you. That is anti-gospel. That goes against everything that the New Testament teaches. Verse 15, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes, may the Lord, I mean, we've talked about this before in other parts of the Bible, but how would you like to be called out uh, as those who turned away and be remembered for all of the time in Scripture uh, that you were one who turned away <clears throat> from Paul, which in turning away from Paul, in essence, is turning away from Jesus because Paul is teaching the gospel of Christ. So verse 16, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. That's how I want to be remembered, right? 
as, as someone who's faithful, as someone who's not ashamed of the gospel and not ashamed of friends when they're in trouble. Verse 17, but when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So he's just bragging on him. Then 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to close with verses 1 and 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So what was entrusted to Timothy was faith. Would he have had faith if it wasn't for his mother, his grandmother, Paul? Probably not. Someone had to, to share that faith with him, tell him about Jesus. Now, we all, every single one of us, have a responsibility to make that faith our own. We all have a responsibility to follow Jesus. We all have to be born again individually. And that doesn't just come as an inheritance from family members or teachers or whoever. The, just because you come into church doesn't mean you're, you're going to automatically be a Christian, right? It's like the old saying, uh, I can go to McDonald's and that doesn't make me a hamburger any more than going to church makes you a Christian, right? And so we have to make sure that we're putting our faith in Christ and individually. But then there are people who are pouring into us. There are people who are entrusting truth and, and wisdom to us. And with that, we're to guard our faith. We're to stand on those truths. We're to make sure that we believe what we believe and know why we believe it, we're to, to do that. But then we are to share that. What's been shared with us, we share with others. And we can't make them believe what we're saying. We can't make them be faithful with what we're passing to them. But we can identify people who are more likely to be faithful with it than others. And why am I saying that? I'm saying that because of 2 Timothy 2 too. What Timothy received from Paul, he was supposed to entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so where are you in this room this morning? First of all, I just want to say this in closing. If all there is to Jesus is coming and listening to a preacher preach, if all there is to Jesus is keeping a list of rules, if all there is to Jesus is legalism, why would anybody want that? I don't want that. So why would a lost world want that? There's way more to Jesus than that. There's life. There's victory. There's, there's eternal life. There's heaven. There's no more death. There's, it cancels the, he cancels the effects of sin. He cancels our trip to hell. He, he has rescued us, and he has saved us. And not only has he done that, but he saved us for a purpose and for a cause. He has called us to be a part of his plan. He has called us to be a part of what he is doing. And we all have a responsibility to get on board with what he is doing and his mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And it starts right here. It starts in our families. It starts with our mothers and our grandmothers. It starts with, with those that that have authority in our life and who are caregivers for us 
It starts with those people loving us and giving us the faith that God has given them. And then when we receive that, we're to turn around and do that same thing for others. If we don't do that, the gospel ends here. What would happen if Jesus ascended, so after his death and resurrection, when he went back to heaven, what would happen if he ascended and then the 11 disciples that were left, if they chose to just stay in Jerusalem and not share the gospel with anyone? Well, we wouldn't be here, would we? As Christians, I mean. And so, just as the disciples had a responsibility to share what had been shared with them, we have a responsibility to share what has been shared with us. And that, as, look, as a follower of Jesus who loves him and wants to see people going to heaven and not to hell, as a follower of Jesus who loves him and wants to see him glorified because he deserves it, as a follower of Jesus, it excites me that he has invited me to be a part of his plan. It excites me that he has shared something with me that I get to share with other people. I'm getting fired up right now just thinking about it. I'm ready to go and make disciples right now. And so I hope that God does the same thing in your heart. I hope that what has been entrusted to you, what has been shared with you, that you are ready to share it with others. It doesn't have to be in a classroom setting. Not all of us are called to be teachers. I'm not saying that you, are, you should be a teacher in that sense. I'm saying that all of us have a responsibility. Every single one of us who are followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility to take what has been shared with us and to share it with other people. And so are we doing that? Are we doing that? It is not the pastor's job or your Wednesday night discipleship leader's job or your Sunday school teacher's job to lead everybody in this town to Christ, to share the gospel with everybody in this town. I mean, it would be great if we could, but it is all of our job. It is the church's job to be the body of Christ to this community. And if some of us aren't doing that, then there are going to be people in this community and to the ends of the earth who never get saved because of our lack of faithfulness, because of our lack of, of, of owning our responsibility to share what has been shared with us. And so where are you this morning? And we're going to close. This is going to be our, our conclusion. And, and we're going to have an invitation where you are invited to respond to God. Maybe you've been a Christian for 20 years and you've never shared the love of Jesus with anyone. Or uh, uh, that's hard to believe that that, is poss- that that could be possible. But maybe that's the way you feel. Maybe you're a Christian and you've been pretty good at sharing love with some people, but you've been standing off and protect, being protective of your faith in a negative sense from the outside world. And maybe you know now, like, I need to guard what has been entrusted to me. I need to stand firm on faith and truth, but I need to share that gospel with everyone around me. And maybe, maybe you've been convicted about that. I have no idea how God might have challenged your heart during this sermon or during the reading of his word. We just read an entire chapter plus two verses. And so if God convicted you and you need to respond to him, now is the time to do that. Now, you can do that in your seat. You can do that where you are. But here's what I know and have learned to be true in my own life, and I've seen it in 19 years of ministry, that when we don't share with others what God is doing in our hearts, a lot of times it's easy for that to be quenched. A lot of times... it's easy for that to be extinguished. And, and for this to just be another sermon you heard on another Sunday, and that's not good. And so 
if God is, is challenging you, then come and tell me about it. Come and talk to me about it. Or find someone that you love and trust. Turn to the person next to you and say, I just need you to know that this is what God is doing in my heart. This is what he's challenging me to do. Will you ask me about that in two weeks? Will you ask me about that in a month or whatever the case might be? We have to have accountability. You respond to God in whatever way he's leading. Let us stand. Lord, we love you. And I just pray that during this time of invitation, we would all respond to whatever it is that you are doing in our hearts. May we take what has been shared with us and share it with others. And if there's anyone in here this morning who doesn't know you, I pray that you would speak to their heart right now and that they would would turn to you, that they would follow you, that they would be born again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.